What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, on Monday, October 16th, 2017. And I am joined by my co-host out in Ohio, and his name is Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what's good, man? I'm happy to be happy to be on, uh, ready for Ohio State to start playing some top level talent again. I'm I'm excited about this team. I think that they're I think they're ready for Penn State in two weeks. Yep, let's uh, let's get right into it, man. Because for the last five weeks, we have talked about these games that have been basically blowouts, and we haven't maybe learned a ton about Ohio State when it comes to playing a top flight team like Penn State or Michigan at the end of the season or wherever they may end up, whether that's the playoff or whatever it may be. It's been a bunch of cupcakes. We know that. We've talked about it. And Nebraska, probably not very good either. But, man, Ohio State beat the hell out of them. Yeah, I mean, 56-14 is not as dominant as a performance as Ohio State's win over Rutgers. But I think it was probably not in score but in just pure play i think this was the most dominant performance ohio state has had this season both nebraska's touchdowns came later on the start ohio state starters were still in for some reason when we'll we'll talk about that and kind of a, a questionable decision there and some injuries but offensively in the first half ohio state was just everything was working it wasn't until the second half there was a there was a possession that ohio state didn't score a touchdown on i want to say there was only one punt from the Buckeyes in this game, it was just you know passing the ball, running the ball, everything was working offensively and defensively. They were just as good as they always are. Yeah, 35 to nothing at half. The game was 42 to nothing before Nebraska scored that long touchdown from J.D. Spielman, and this one pretty much felt over the second that it started. Ohio State scored touchdowns on their first eight drives of the game, and the offense was clicking from the start. The passing game, the running game, everything seemed to flow really well. I don't know if it was their most impressive game of the season, but I, I think just in terms of a game flow and in the way, especially from the offense, the way that they were able to control the game and whenever they had a third down or a couple of times they went for it on fourth down, it always seemed like they were able to make a play. And right now we're looking at the most efficient offense in the country through seven games so I was really impressed at at how the offense continued to progress I don't know if the Nebraska defense is anything to write home about but uh I really like what I saw offensively from them both through the air and on the ground yeah I mean any anytime you can put up 41 first downs in a game against another power five team it's it's an impressive offensive performance but I think something that some some people are kind of glossing over because of how dominant Ohio State was in this game is that Nebraska while they're not I mean, they're not good. Nebraska's not Rutgers. Nebraska's not Illinois. This is not a terrible team. I think Nebraska's a mediocre team. I think Maryland was a mediocre team. I think Army was a mediocre team. And Ohio State is just dominating every team they play, good or bad. I, I mean, Ohio State's making teams like, like Nebraska look silly. Yeah, and if we want to look around the country, too, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, Syracuse is a mediocre team. Washington lost to a mediocre team in Arizona State, and I think that Cal's a pretty mediocre team, and we saw three top 10 teams lose this week on the road. So no matter where you go at night in conference as a top five, top 10 team, we've seen in college football, anything can happen. So to not only get a win, but 
to go into a sold-out Memorial Stadium and drop the worst conference beatdown that Nebraska has ever seen. Uh, definitely positives there. Nothing negative about that. Yeah, as I mean, it could be Ohio State could be in a significantly worse place than than destroying what was once a you know a college football blue blood. I mean, as you said, there were there were three top ten upsets on the road. Clemson lost to Syracuse. There was some top level teams losing to Nebraska quality teams and. Ohio State has not shown any signs of slipping up like some other teams has thus far, except for, you know, against Oklahoma. But that's a that's a top level opponent. Let's get into the game itself and start where we always do with the offense and the passing game. And JT Barrett was 27 of 33, five passing touchdowns. He averaged almost 10 yards per attempt. He's now thrown for 21 touchdowns and one interception. He's tied for the national lead in passing touchdowns with Will Greer of West Virginia. He also had a couple of rushing touchdowns and 48 yards on the ground as well. So a seven TD total day for JT Barrett, just another kind of ho-hum performance over the last month. What did you think about him and the passing game in particular? Because it felt like whatever they wanted, they got. Yeah, this was, I mean, it seems like we've said this every week since the Oklahoma game. The offense just looked more comfortable this week. Um, The passing game was probably the best it's been since 2014. I don't don't think that it's going out on a limb saying that. The last time I remember the passing attack being this, this consistent, this good, was against Michigan State or Alabama or Wisconsin in the 2014 season. I mean... The 27 of 33, as you said, 98.3 QBR rating. I mean, JT Barrett is, I think if he puts up a good performance against Penn State, I think he's a legitimate Heisman contender. Yeah, I don't think that that's far off base given the amount of touchdowns he has, the the profile of Ohio State, and if they're able to make a convincing, not even a convincing win, if they're able to beat Penn State and he has a good game, then I I think you're definitely looking at him in that talk because it'll vault Ohio State right back up probably into the top three or four teams in the country. And, you know, when we've talked about this passing game the last couple of seasons and a lot of the focus has been on JT Barrett or it's been on the wide receivers and rightfully so, but the line has had their fair share of blame as well. And one thing that I really liked from them in this game in particular, was they held up really well. We'll, we'll talk about the running game and, and the way that they played because I thought they did a good job there too. But uh, in terms of pass protection, this may have been their best performance of the season. They gave Barrett all the time in the world. He had clean pockets to throw from all night. Receivers were able to kind of get into their routes and let things progress a little bit, and he was able to go through his reads. So I was really impressed with how the line played. And first game without Brandon Bowen after that season-ending injury. Uh, Jamarco Jones went out for a bit, but it looks like he's going to be okay. I, I really like what I saw from the line. Yeah, the the line play was extremely encouraging. Demetrius Knox filling in for Brandon Bowen looked good. The whole line looked good. And um, as you said, it gave gave the receivers time to, to get into their routes, to develop their routes. And I think the most important thing about it was that it gave JT Barrett time to to improvise to to move around to find open receivers and make the plays that we haven't seen him make in a couple of years there was one play in particular where the protection wasn't great but he had enough time to to avoid a defender and he turned it into a um a pretty big run i mean he's he looked 
he looked really good in the backfield with time. He looked good even without time. But I think that more often than not, the offensive line was extremely good against Nebraska. And the one other thing that, that I thought was encouraging and that stood out to me in terms of the passing game was it, it finally feels like we've reached a point where everybody seems comfortable within the concepts of the passing game. You, you look at K.J. Hill as a guy that really feasted on some of those crossing routes last night. He had seven catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns. He They were able to get him the ball in space and kind of just let him do his thing. We saw that Paris Campbell uh, has been able to do that in the early portion of the season, and he went out early in the game after, after a big hit on that bubble screen. But K.J. Hill stepped into that role and made a couple of really nice plays after the catch. We saw some corner routes develop, which we haven't seen a ton of in the past and in particular uh, Marcus Baugh, uh, Rashad Berry and then KJ Hill's second touchdown nice corner route throws by JT Barrett so it kind of seems like at least in terms of the passing game everybody is starting to get really comfortable with what Kevin Wilson wants and how they want to mesh that with some of the principles they've used on offense before. Yeah, it was it was really nice to see how comfortable Ohio State looked with the intermediate passing game. Um, KJ Hill really is I think that he's he's built just for plays like that for intermediate passing game. Uh, Benjamin Victor looked once again like a very very good red zone threat, like a very good big play receiver. Marcus Ball had a good performance, um, but I think that I think that the number one that I number one thing that I just like seeing from this offense is that you know everyone looks comfortable. They're running plays that it seems like everyone knows how to how to run and um it looks like T Barrett finally has his has his rhythm and his timing back with his receivers. They're still a little bit less explosive than I would like. They they took a couple deep shots that didn't work out. Benjamin Victor drew a penalty on one of them. I think KJ Hill got held on one of them that probably would have been a touchdown if he was able to go through on his route right down the middle of the field there. So if there's one weakness of this offense and I don't know if that'll change, you know, we've had three, four years of evidence on that, but I really don't think that that's a, uh, a fatal flaw for them because at this point, they look comfortable in the passing game, and that's something to where we, we hadn't seen that before. So you couple that with not making big plays, and that's where the real problems with the passing game were, and at the very least right now, they look comfortable, like you said, in what they're doing, the plays they're calling, the concepts that they're running, and the reads that JT Barrett is making. And so I think that not having those huge, huge passing plays is a little bit less of a concern than it was in the past. Yeah, and I mean, in um, when looking at Ohio State's um, passing S&P plus success, their success rate, average-wise, they're in the top 10. Um, total S&P plus, they're in the top five. This is this is a team that's legitimately good at passing the ball, and it's not just a gimmick. It's not bubble screens. JT Barrett's throwing the ball down the field. He's, you know, he's making good throws. Receivers are going out. They're running good routes. They're making plays after the catch. I I would agree with the you know they should be a little bit more explosive, and I think that they'll get there. But this is I mean this is a really talented offense. This is an offense that's getting into a rhythm at the right time, and I think that. This is probably the first time I've had fun watching an Ohio State offense since 2014. I mean, it's the 2015 offense was good against Notre Dame and against Michigan, but 
it feels like they're finally playing up to the potential that they have with all the talent that they have at each position. I don't think that's a stretch. It's definitely the most complete we've seen since that 2014 team. And with so many different wide receivers stepping up and having defined roles and quite honestly, just having guys that are actually wide receivers and not just like slot back guys. No, no shade at Curtis Samuel, who was great, but you looked at guys like Jalen Marshall or Dontre Wilson and yeah, they're explosive and they're fast and they're speedy and they can make defenders miss. But Ohio state had, was really missing for a period of time guys that could just play as regular wide receivers. And I think that that's something that's helped the offense out tremendously. We've seen Benjamin Victor step up. Austin Mack had a couple of catches once again, and Paris Campbell has rounded into a pretty good receiver. And then even having another option like KJ Hill and you add in Baugh and Barry. And I think that this is most certainly the best receiving core at least since that 2014 team. So it's, it's positive to see what they've been able to do on that front. Moving into the running game, um, just another kind of, you know, almost 300-yard performance, 47 carries, 279 yards total for the ground game. J.K. Dobbins went over 100 yards on 12 carries, had that nice 52-yard touchdown. He's just so smooth with the ball. It seems like he never takes any big hits. We saw a couple of more nice jukes. The thing that I really liked was Mike Weber's game. He looked the best that he's looked all season. He finally appears like he's healthy, threw a couple of really nice stiff arms, squared up on some dudes in the second level, uh, had 18 carries for 82 yards. So really liked what I saw from him. And I don't really think there's too much to say about the running game because we know what they bring to the table. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins on that 52-yard run, it never looked like he was actually running. It seemed like he was just kind of moving down the field, but it didn't seem like he was he was ever running at full speed. And I think that that's just him. I mean, he's his natural state is so impressive and his natural running ability is so impressive that you know i mean 12 yards 106 carries or 12 carries 106 yards that sounds about right for him and that's i think that that would be unrealistic to expect from pretty much any other running back in the country but he's just so consistently good and so natural with the ball in his hands is this the most diverse ohio state offense we've ever seen because Dobbins is that main threat at running back now, but Mike Weber is there as that second option. JT Barrett is still an option running the ball. And then you talk about all the receivers we just brought up in the past. And, you know, we keep going back to that 2014 team, but I think that that's a good measuring stick. As great as that offense was, a lot of it, especially when it was, you know, late Big Ten championship game and the two playoff games a lot of it was Mike Thomas or Zeke Elliott and then you had guys like Jalen Marshall or Nick Vanette uh, sprinkled in there but you know you only had a couple of really main guys with this offense it seems like there's a lot more threats to go to yeah the last Ohio State at least rushing attack that I can I can remember that had two running backs as good as this current team does was the 2006 season with Antonio Pittman and a um, I want to say freshman Beanie Wells, uh, who uh, Pittman ran for over a thousand yards, Wells ran for over 500, and they were, I mean, a little bit more similar than Dobbins and Weber are. Both were a bit more powerful. Pittman was faster, but um, I think that this is that this is a more diverse backfield and more diverse offense in general than we've seen in a very long time, for sure. My only real complaint from this game, and you 
alluded to it was that the starters were up uh, when it was 42 to nothing. That it was just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean, I get why they did it. Like, there's some there's some things with Ohio State and Nebraska kind of behind the scenes that are not great and Ohio State staff has some issues with some people on Nebraska's staff so I, I get why they were doing this but it was dumb it was dumb that Jamarco Jones got hurt late because he was in in the fourth quarter it was it was it was pointless it's a it's a weird thing to do even going into a bye week just I mean when you're up by 42 points early in the third quarter there's no reason for JT Barrett to still be in the game yeah let's let's talk about the defense though what uh what stood out to you as most impressive because now we've seen for five straight weeks this defense basically give up nothing when the when the first string has been on the field. Well, I mean the the defensive line again, and we've talked about them before and how dominant they are. But but once again, the defensive line was just excellent. Um, Nick Bosa was great. Draymond Jones returned. I think he might have been back last week as well, but he's fully healthy, looked good. Um, Jalen Holmes went down with an injury. I, I don't know if he came back into the game but that was that was a little bit concerning but just in general the defensive line was just as good as they always are they gave Tanner Lee issues as we thought they would and um I think that's the heart and soul of this defense and when they are when they are on this defense is really hard to beat when we talk about those guys it's usually about the pass rush and the rushman package and the way they get after the quarterback and and they do they're one of the best teams in the country at that are one of the best defensive lines in the country at that excuse me but the run defense is has been so good nebraska had 16 carries as a team for 44 yards the last two weeks ohio state's run defense 58 carries 94 yards and those are games where they've gotten up early and against teams that may not be the best at running the ball. But if you're holding uh, two teams, any two teams in the country to less than a hundred yards on almost 60 carries, that's pretty awesome. So the, the defensive line as good as they are getting after the passer and on those passing downs, they are just as good against the run. And that's what sets them up for that passing down success and when they're able to, you know, pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. When JT Barrett is out rushing an entire other team, it's just, it's not just, you know, that the other team wasn't struck, wasn't particularly running the ball very well. This defense is extremely good at stopping the run. And I think that that's going to be crucial against a team like Penn State or Michigan. The linebackers, I thought also had a really good game. Maybe the best game of the season, Jerome Baker after his, Strong game last week. He had a, another good game. He had three tackles, a tackle for loss. Dante Booker, I thought, stood out amongst the linebackers. He led the team with seven tackles. So if there's a low-key, real positive that's kind of hidden in this game, I thought it was that uh, the linebackers continue to take some steps forward. Tough Borland had a, a quietly very good game. So I think that those guys are playing well right now. I think the number one thing that I notice and the number one takeaway I have not just from the linebackers, from, but from this defense as a whole, is just how fast they play. Um, Jerome Baker, Dante Booker, Chris Worley, all of them are, I mean, just they're cornerbacks and linebacker bodies. They're massive. They're fast. They hit extremely hard. They fly to the ball. It's 
it's extremely difficult for teams to get yards after the catch or run at all on this defense because of how athletic the linebackers are. What do you think about the secondary play? I liked a lot of what I saw from the secondary. There was there was some some concerns in the second half, giving up a couple big touchdowns to JD or giving up the big touchdown to JD Spielman, gave up a big touchdown to Stanley Morgan as well. Um, but I think. For the most part, the defensive backfield looked pretty good. Jordan Fuller had a good game, six tackles. Um, he had a de- pass deflection as well. Kendall Sheffield looked pretty solid. Damon Webb looked good. Denzel Ward. I mean, I thought all of them looked... I thought they looked good. There were a couple times where they, they just got beat on, on good routes. They got beat by speed from J.D. Spielman. Um, they had a couple tackling issues after the catch, but I think for the most part, they looked how they have for the last couple of weeks. This might have been Jordan Fuller's best game of his young career. Like you said, six tackles, five solo tackles, also had a pass defense. And there was at least two or three times where he was up near the line in run support. There was some jet sweep plays, some shorter pass plays that he snuffed out. And I thought that this was his best game. Yeah, Jordan Fuller has some of the best in- instincts on of anyone on this defense. He's extremely good at at um, stopping plays before they even happen. He reads the quarterback very well. He can read plays very well. And um, I think that he's definitely the best of the bunch of defensive backs in run protection. He's a very solid tackler. He's, He's a fun player to watch. Ohio State's defense as a whole, the last month since that Army game when they gave up that 18 play, 99 yard touchdown drive in that second quarter, they have given up zero points in non garbage time situations. Think about that for a second, for a month. And I know that, you know, we're going to hear, oh, they were playing cupcakes, and that's fine. But if your standard is, if you're playing bad teams, nobody should score points on them, that's exactly what they've done. They have not given up a single point in a non-garbage time situation. UNLV didn't score until that game was 37 to nothing. Rutgers didn't score at all. Maryland scored on a kick return and then didn't score their other touchdown until late in the fourth quarter. And it's just, you look at this defense, and I still think that they have room to get better. The linebackers keep improving. The defensive line, like you said, I think that they're probably the best defensive line in the country. And and the secondary continues to have their moments. They're going to give up big plays here and there. They're still a little bit too aggressive, which is okay, I guess. Kendall Sheffield's still a little bit grabby, but they've played so well over the last month, and regardless of opponent, they just haven't let anybody do anything. Yeah, this, I mean, this defense is just dominant. This is what happens when you put a bunch of four and five stars on a Greg Schiano coach defense. They're aggressive. They're fast. There's not, I don't think that there's really a team in the country that can score more than 28 points on this defense, except for Oklahoma. But I think right now, I don't think there's a team in this country that maybe, maybe Penn State, maybe Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma State that could do much of anything against this defense and to finish that off nebraska didn't score until it was 42 to nothing so the defense right now even when teams are getting inside of the ohio state 40 yard line is just not letting anything up i think that they can get even better which is kind of scary to say and you know we've all been looking for that test for them and Penn State is going to be that team to, uh, to I think, bring it to them. And we're going to see, really, where this defense stands. But if the last month is any indicator, if Ohio State's offense is able to generate 30 points, like you're saying, they're going to be, I think, near impossible to beat heading into, you know, wherever they go 
past the Big Ten championship if they're able to make it. Slightly unrelated, but still related to the defense. Shout out to Chris Worley for wearing a do-rag for the entirety of the game. That's awesome. Yeah, I think Chris Worley deserves <laughs> defensive uh, player of the game honors just for that. Yeah, Chris Worley is um, wonderful, as are many, many of the members of this team. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's still a pretty young defensive unit jordan fuller is young nick bose is young i mean most of ohio state's players are juniors or younger guys don't really get to be seniors here they generally go to the nfl before that so it's reasonable to expect them to continue to get better and as the competition increases it's kind of an urban meyer trend that ohio state gets better as well and i think that we'll see that again this year especially on the defensive side of the ball so that's something that's exciting to look forward to as good as the defense has been over the last month the special teams have been equally just as bad, culminating in what we saw against Maryland the other week. But as for this game, I, I thought they were okay. There really wasn't much of any chance for other than other than uh, for them to work on their kick coverage, which was all right, but uh, kind of just a nondescript game from the special teams. Yeah, and this is, this is a surprising stat that I'm looking at here on um, Ohio State's statistical profile at Football Study Hall. Um, for, for field position, starting off looking at you know Ohio State's field position when they're on defense, other teams where they usually start, it's behind the 25, it's 24.8, which is fifth in the country. I mean, I don't know how that's possible with how bad it feels like the kickoffs have been, and I, I think that some good Drew Christman punts certainly help that, but... I really, it feels worse than it is, the special teams. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of a product of how, how good every other unit has been recently that we have to focus on the special teams struggling. But it's, I, I mean, it's a small thing to have to harp on. I'm sure that they'll get it fixed as the season goes on and the, the kick coverage will be, need to be improving. And I'm, I'm sure it will. That's Urban Meyer's kind of, thing that he likes to focus on coaching up and something that he talks about a lot so I think that if they can keep the ball in bounds on kickoffs as the season goes on then it'll it'll improve and it won't be an issue yeah we'd be remiss to not bring up the opening kickoff out of bounds and of course Fox had the camera just pinned to Urban Meyer and he was like <laughs> he was doing the classic Urban with like hunched over head down and that's what the third time that they've kicked a ball out of bounds, not even this year, but in the last three games. So that's definitely an issue. And the first thing that popped into my head when that happened was like, you know, in movies, or I guess they even have this in real life at like, uh, plants or construction sites where they have the big sign. That's like days without an accident. The only <laughs> thing that popped into my head was Ohio state having that for special teams in games without an accident. And them just having to reset the counter, <laughs> back to zero so it you know they, they really need to clean something like that up because in games like this it, it doesn't matter because the offense is so good and the defense is so good that you can get away with you know a shitty kickoff or some poor coverage here and there or a bad punt like we saw from Chrisman in the Maryland game but in two weeks from now when you're playing a team like Penn State and they have Saquon Barkley back returning kicks you know, that, that's not going to cut it, and we'll talk about it more as, as that game draws near and we do the uh, the previews for that game. But um, I, I would be very happy if Ohio State's plan for that game was to just kick the ball out of the end zone because I, I know they like to stick with this plan of pinning a team 
inside the five yard line and getting a tackle before the 20. But uh, with 26 back there in blue and white, uh, that's not even something you want to mess with. Yeah. And speaking of the, the urban Meyer uh, slouched over, that was, I mean, that was the first play of the game. There was a play in the fourth quarter where Ohio state was up like 49 to seven. And he did that. And like, man, come on. <laughs> it's 49 to seven. It's hard. It's hard to see why these coaches are so unhealthy. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder why. Because it was like it was just like someone dropped a pass or something. And he, it was like the worst thing that's ever happened to him. It was just it was like at that point, I was like sipping a coffee, half watching the game, watching other games because I was like, you know, that's that's enough. I've seen enough of Ohio State beating Nebraska. So. Maybe cool it a little bit, Urban. <laughs> Before we get into some general thoughts about the team to wrap this up, uh, do you have any final thoughts on what we saw on Saturday? I mean, not not really. I think it was a I think it was a really good performance. I think that we've seen a lot of good performances from this team. I think this is the best team that we've seen out of Columbus since 2014. We've talked about that team a lot. This this year has a lot of similarities to that 2014 season. And, I mean, Ohio State controls their own destiny. If Ohio State wins out there in the playoff, that's just the way that it is. Um, there's some. There's a lot of teams that can't say that. Clemson can't say that. If Syracuse wins out, Clemson's not in the ACC championship game. This is – Ohio State's in a good place. Um, I think – I think that this is the best place Ohio State has been in in a long time since that season that we keep talking about. And I think that they're going to continue winning games if they keep playing as well as they have been. Yeah, and after the loss to Oklahoma, they've pretty much done everything that they could possibly do to improve both on offense and on defense. The the last five games have been a 53-11 to 11 average score. Both sides of the ball are clicking. The special teams leave a lot to be desired, as we said, and maybe that will pop up against Penn State or some better teams in conference play. Also, other than the Brandon Bowen injury, they've really avoided any serious problems uh, on that front, both offensively and defensively, so that's been nice. And I think when you look back to how bad the OU game was and what we thought about the team after that game, as we head into the bye, uh, this is probably the the best that they could have looked. Like, if you were – Wondering, okay, what can Ohio State do after the Oklahoma game to make you feel like this team's back on track, they have a chance to get back into the Big Ten title game, they have a chance to play for the playoff? I think it would be everything that we've seen over the last five weeks. Yeah, I I really, there's not been there's not been really much of anything to harp on with this team and they've moved up to to the number one spot in S&P plus last week and I think that's I mean based on the last the last couple of games that's fair Ohio State's playing the best football of any team in the country right now maybe out of outside of Tuscaloosa but we saw Alabama struggle with Texas A&M last week and I mean there I have no complaints Uh, this is a really good football team right now yeah and just so we're clear I, I don't think either of us are saying that they aren't unbeatable they could very well lose to Penn State in two weeks from now but um just over what we've seen the last month it's hard not to be really impressed and to think that okay this is what we wanted to see before the season started yeah I mean I'm yeah I'm I'm not trying to to say that I'm not worried at all about the Penn State game because I'm of course I'm worried about the Penn State game I think everyone has good reason to be worried about the Penn State game Penn State's a really good team it'll be that'll be a good game and that's a game that I mean obviously Ohio State needs to play well to win but 
I have no reason to doubt this team and their ability to put up a good performance. And if Penn State just just plain beats them, then they just plain beat them. But I you know, I don't think that this is a situation where Ohio State's going to beat themselves against good teams. As we wrap up here this uh, for this episode, what are you looking for this week on Saturday? We got we got a bye week, free Saturday. Can watch whatever you want. Which uh, which games are you looking out for, and which do you think will be the most important from an Ohio State perspective? Uh, I've got to get um, LSUfootball.net schedules up, the number one football site outside of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Um, I know we got Penn State, Michigan this weekend, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, I think I'm going to be at a barbecue during that, so I will have uh, PlayStation View up on my phone so I can watch that. Um, so that I mean that pretty much determines the Big Ten East. I, I mean, if Michigan can't win that game, they're all but out. In fact, I think that they would be out at that point of uh, Big Ten championship contention. Indiana at Michigan State might be interesting. Syracuse goes to Miami. Miami's still undefeated. Um, USC at Notre Dame, not really related to Ohio State, but that'll be fun. I mean, it's it's a pretty good college football weekend. There's not a ton of big name matchups, but as we saw last week, that doesn't matter. I mean, there there can be upsets pretty much anywhere. Um, I think this is a fun schedule. I think that it's going to be it's a good week to watch some watch some teams that aren't Ohio State, and glad we don't have to watch Ohio State beat up on like Illinois this week or something. I'm thinking of this question on the fly, so excuse me if I'm being an idiot, which I probably am. But what would be a better result for Ohio State in that Michigan-Penn State game? Or what would be the best result? Probably probably Michigan win, I, I guess. Um, I, I mean, because I think if Penn State wins that game, then Ohio State then beats Penn State, but then loses another game to, like, Michigan State, Penn State would probably... They'd have the tiebreaker. Yeah, my, my thinking is that Penn State's more of a... I guess competitor for the for a playoff spot than Michigan. So yeah, I mean, probably Michigan just because then it would be one less team for Ohio State to have to get in over in the playoff. But if Ohio State ben beats Penn State, it probably won't matter. But I, I think that that's my my number one reasoning for it. I don't I don't know the exact tiebreakers or what all it would take for Ohio State to to get into the Big Ten Championship with a loss to Penn State. But my answer probably, as much as it hurts to say, is probably Michigan. It probably would be for the best. I know that you, me, and and none of the people listening to this will probably be rooting for Michigan, though, in that game. Or, you know, there may be a small percentage of people that kind of are because people freaked out when Oklahoma lost, and they were like, no, this isn't good for Ohio State. So maybe with the Penn State game being on deck, people want to see them undefeated and I mean I kind of do just to have two uh you have one undefeated team in Penn State and then Ohio State with the only loss coming from Oklahoma but you got a top 10 matchup in that one in a game that almost definitely if Penn State wins kind of decides the the Big Ten East and probably you know a playoff spot for the Big Ten yeah um that that'll be a fun game I'm not I'm not sure how many Buckeye fans will be rooting for Michigan, as you said. Um, I think it's probably easier to root for Oklahoma than it is to Michigan for for a lot of Ohio State fans. But um, I, I don't know. I think I'm just rooting for a good game. That's generally what I do when watching college football. Just 
I'm just hoping that everybody has fun. It's a it's a nice close game. That those are the most fun to watch. Um, another game that might indirectly affect Ohio State in the future is UCF at Navy because if UCF keeps winning, Scott Frost is going to coach Nebraska next year. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I'm um I, I'm interested to see what Scott Frost does and what he thinks about Nebraska because Nebraska can pay. But the more we get along with this, and they just hired Bill Moose from Washington State to be their new athletic director in Lincoln, I'm not as convinced that that's going to be a lock because I don't think Nebraska is quite the job that maybe other people think. And Matt and I talked about this last week. It's still a very good job, but you know I don't think that Scott Frost, even though he went to Nebraska, I don't think it's a guarantee that he's just going to drop everything he has there and, and go to Lincoln because I don't think that it's quite – as attractive as it even was three or four years ago how how down with the idea of mike leach coaching nebraska are you because i think i'm extremely down with that idea i'm down for it in the sense that from a nebraska perspective at least they would have an identity that no matter no matter where they go nebraska has to have an identity and right now under mike riley i don't know what that is because they they really don't have one thing that you can say this team hangs their hat on at least with Bo Pelini it was the defense was usually pretty solid they had a good run game they had some individual stars and Amir Abdullah and some other guys Rex Burkhead but they they don't have any identity right now and they have talent but it doesn't really seem like Nebraska really is anything right now they're just kind of floating off into space and they're recruiting at a top 30 level but you know what are they doing with those guys and whether that's Mike Leach Scott Frost or anybody else, the biggest thing for Nebraska has to be an identity. And the Big Ten needs a triple option team. <laughs> Ken Nui Matalolo, Navy. We're talking about Navy and UCF right now. Maybe that's Navy and UCF. That's the Nebraska Bowl. Winner of this game takes the Nebraska job. Yeah, winner of this game immediately gets hired as Nebraska's new head coach. Yep, I'm I'm excited for that. That'll be That'll be fun. <laughs> well, with us talking about Navy UCF being the game to decide Nebraska's job, that's probably a good place to wrap up. <laughs> if you're still listening, we appreciate it. Make sure to go to LandGrantHolyLand.com to keep up this week with everything going on during Ohio State's bye week and everything else happening in the college football universe. We'll have you guys covered on there and on our Twitter account at LandGrant33. And then, of course, get ready for two weeks from now when we ramp up the Penn State coverage, talk about that game. And no matter what happens with Michigan-Penn State, that will be a huge one. So keep it locked here on the Hangout in the Holy Land and on LandGrantHolyLand.com and on our Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter. Tell me what you think about the show by sending me a tweet at DubsCo can reach me there and then patrick where can they find you they can find me at patrick underscore mayhorn spelled how it sounds if they are interested in tweets comparing mike leach to alex jones because that's what i did on i guess friday night so you're missing out if that's the kind of content that you crave <laughs> that's the kind of content and coverage that i think everybody wants out of twitter.com <laughs> also make sure to go to soundcloud.com slash land grant holy land Find this show, all the previous shows, and the future shows. We got a lot coming your way for uh, Penn State Week next week. So keep tuned on SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand. And if you like the show, please subscribe. Go on to Apple Podcasts. Search the Hangout in the Holy Land. Like I said last week, I'm still trying to get rid of the old one, but you can find the uh, the new show page up there. Subscribe. Leave a review. Tell us what you think about the show. That's Apple Podcasts. Search the Hangout in the Holy Land. 
that's a good place to wrap up for this episode. I'll be back later this week to talk with Matt Brown about everything happening in college football this week and then a little bit more Ohio State stuff as Penn State is on the horizon. So be on the lookout for that. Until then, though, my name is Colton Denning. He's Patrick Mayhorn. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land. And go Bucks.